Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of sushi. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is food. We're going to cover a lot of common types of Japanese food and where to find said food. So Paul, why don't you kick us off here? So Japanese cuisine has been developing for at least 2,000 years. That's about how long they've been farming rice as well. So it's been largely rice-based for a long time as the main staple. In fact, the words for the three meals of the day all happen to have the word for rice in them. You got asagohan, hirugohan, and bangohan. Basically translates to morning rice, midday rice, and evening rice. So yeah, I'd say it's safe to say that uh, rice is pretty important and has been for a long time. Yes, Japanese people for a long time ate rice pretty much for every meal, every day. Thus, where you get those names for the meals. Lately, rice is not quite as popular, but the majority of Japanese people still eat rice at least with one or two meals every day. Why do you say rice isn't as popular?、Uh, it's being replaced a little bit with wheat products, bread,、mm. and wheat noodles. Is that due to influence from the Western world? Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, I remember hearing that in schools in Japan, they—I mean, originally, obviously, they served Japanese food to kids in schools. But then,、uh, when cheap wheat started coming in from the West, they started serving a lot more bread and Western-style lunches rather than traditional Japanese food. So、uh, there was actually some resistance to that. Eventually, they decided we really want to preserve our cuisine. We want these kids to be used to eating traditional Japanese food, so they actually started changing the meals that they would serve to kids at school to get back to traditional foods. That's awesome. That's a good idea. I thought it was interesting, and yeah, yeah I mean, it's important to preserve culture, you know. Yeah, we live in the world of international trade deals and whatnot these days. It does funny things to food prices. Yeah, for sure. So you have、uh, different foods popping up in different countries. Diversity is not bad, but it's good if they hang on to some of their traditional food. I think so. Japan's actually one of only three countries in the world where their cuisine is recognized as culturally significant by the United Nations. Huh? France and Mexico are the other two. Good to know. I love Mexican food. Yeah, and French food. Yeah, I like a lot of food. <laughs> food in general is pretty good. Keeps you alive and all that. I ran today. Just so I'd burn enough calories that I could eat more food <laughs> and not feel bad about myself. Nice.、Uh, so I have a little more information about rice, if I can expand on that. I would love to hear more about rice. Okay, so there are a lot of different types of rice, right? I mean, a lot of different countries have rice as their staple, but Japanese rice is different than all you know, Indian rice or Mexican rice. They're all different, right? Yeah. So in Japan, most Japanese rice. Is a short grain rice called uruchimai. So it's shorter than jasmine rice or basmati rice or anything like that. It also has higher starch content, so the grains of rice cling together when they're cooked. That's what they use for sushi, rice balls. I mean, any other kind of standard Japanese meal that involves rice is going to use that same kind of rice. They also use that rice to make sake and rice vinegar. Now there's another type of rice that you'll see in Japan sometimes called glutinous rice. Japanese word for that is mochi gome, and if you know what mochi is, you might have recognized that in the name. That's the type of rice that they use for making mochi and traditional sweets. In case you don't know what mochi is, Paul, what's mochi? 
Mochi is... Describe the texture for me of mochi. Chewy. Yeah, it's kind of a... I don't even know <laughs> what you would compare it to in the U.S., I guess. It's, uh, it's not quite bread. It's not quite a cake. It's like a gooey rice substance. Yeah, gooey rice. That's a pretty decent description. A lot of times in the U.S., if you come across mochi, it might have been wrapped around some little balls of ice cream. That's pretty popular. Yeah, and it's not rice anymore. It's Rice has been processed to a point where it's... It's like elastic almost. Like it's chewy and uh, stretchy, and it can be used in all sorts of things. Like I said, in the U.S., it's mostly, you see it wrapped around ice cream. You got these little mochi ice cream balls. But in Japan, it can take a lot of different forms. They can grill these little like bricks of mochi and put something sweet on top. Or it can be used to make all sorts of different sweets. Sometimes they make these little uh, daifuku that have red bean paste inside them. That's a popular yeah, one. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah. Now, you might have also heard the term sticky rice, but that term sticky rice doesn't really mean anything specific. Like sticky rice isn't a specific type of rice. It's just yeah, rice you, that happens to be sticky. It's just an adjective. You can't go to the store and buy sticky rice. Right. That is in the U.S. If you were to use... Uh, Japanese words for sticky rice in Japan, that would generally refer to that mochi gome, the glutinous rice that's made to make mochi. Interesting. Yeah. Because I think of all Japanese rice as sticky rice. Right. It can get a little confusing because people use different terminology to describe these types of rice. You'll also see the term sushi rice in the U.S. a lot of the time on bags of uncooked rice. But the thing that makes sushi rice sushi rice is that they actually season it after it's cooked with a mix of vinegar and salt and sugar. That's what makes it the rice that's suitable to use for making sushi. couple more notes about Japanese cuisine in general. It is very heavily influenced by local vegetables and local products, including seafood. It's also very influenced by the seasons. Mm -hmm. So they're going to serve different side dishes and different types of food based on what season it is as well. Right. Japanese food is historically influenced by Chinese cooking, going all the way back to when they imported rice originally from China. And in more recent years, the last 100, 150 years, has been more influenced by Western food and Western cooking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of stuff in Japan has been influenced by the West ever since, well, for centuries, but especially since World War II. Yeah, absolutely. So, Paul... What is like super traditional old style Japanese food? What would people have been eating a few hundred years ago, let's say, or even a thousand years ago? A typical meal would be a bowl of white rice and a bowl of miso soup with three or more side dishes. Popular side dishes include pickled vegetables, grilled fish, cooked vegetables, or tempura which is lightly battered seafood and vegetables deep fried. Now, I love pickles, and I know you like Japanese-style pickles, Jason. Yeah, not so big on American pickles. Actually, that's an understatement. I think American pickles are pretty gross. But Japanese pickles are not like American pickles. The only similarity is that they're pickled in something. But cucumbers, I believe, are pickled in some sort of brine, usually. Is that right? I don't really know. All I know is pickling involves vinegar. Okay. 
Well, in Japan, they have a lot of different ways to pickle vegetables. So pickles in general are called tsukemono, which translates to pickled things, basically. But there are different ways of pickling, and each of those different ways has a different name. So shio is salt. So pickles that are pickled in salt are called shiozuke. There's also a method of pickling where they use rice bran, and they basically have this big pot that they fill with rice bran, and then they stick, well, there's yeast in there, and then they stick in the vegetables, and they just leave it for a while, and the vegetables get pickled. Pretty cool. They even will save the bran, like, for years and years. Like, families might have a jar of bran that they have been passing down for generations, and each family will have kind of a different flavor to their pickles based on their particular jar of bran that they've been passing down. That's amazing. I thought so, too. They'll also pickle a lot of different types of vegetables. In the U.S., you only see cucumber pickles for the most part. But in Japan, they'll use all sorts of things. Eggplant, lotus root, anything, really. Yeah, quite a few pickled vegetables. You will see a variety. Yeah. Now, you make your own Japanese-style pickles. How I do. How do you go about that? So I kind of take the easy route and do it in salt because I don't really have access to rice bran. That's a little more involved. But don't have your <clears> own... <throat> passed down for generations pickle brine? Unfortunately, no. That's too bad. Yeah. But uh, basically the process I use is I just get these little tiny cucumbers that are kind of closer to the Japanese types of cucumbers. They grow different types of cucumbers there. But I get these little mini cucumbers that don't have seeds in them. And then I slice those up. You can mix them with some like grated ginger, something like that. And then basically you just sprinkle kosher salt over them, stick them in a pickle press that squeezes the moisture out of the cucumbers and lets the salt get in there. And uh, after a couple hours, you got some salty pickles. They're pretty delicious. I, th- I think so. Really nice side dish. So should we move on to sushi? Yes, let's. Okay. So like I said, sushi rice is seasoned with vinegar, salt, and sugar. And the word sushi, a lot of people associate that with the idea of raw fish. But technically, all you really need for something to be sushi is that sushi rice. Yes. But a lot of the time, there is raw fish, especially in Japan. You're not going to find the types of rolls that you commonly find in the U.S., like California rolls. I mean, obviously, that's not traditional Japanese. Yeah, there's a lot of fusion sushi that you find in the U.S. with all sorts of... uh Fancy rolls that you might not find in Japan. Right. You're not going to find cream cheese, avocado, a bunch of fatty sauces, any of that stuff in Japanese sushi. And usually, you won't even see that many sushi rolls as much as you'll see nigiri sushi, which is basically just a little ball of rice with some sort of fish on top. Yeah. That's a lot more common than rolls. You'll also see different types of sushi where it's just kind of a bowl of sushi rice topped with fish. Like it's all just kind of stuck in a bowl together. That's also called sushi, even though it might not look like what you're used to thinking of as sushi. Yep. That's something that I remember I was confused about when I was a kid. You know, I conflated sushi with raw fish. Yeah. They often go together, but the sushi is the rice. Yep. So if you're used to American sushi and you really like those sauces and stuff, it might be a little different trying that sushi in Japan, but it's also delicious. I would definitely recommend giving it a try. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
So, Paul, you were saying in addition to rice, noodles are also a big staple in Japan, right? Yes, that is absolutely true. So what kind of noodles do they have in Japan? There are a bunch of different kinds, right? Yeah. I think the most common would be soba, udon, and ramen. Yeah. And, you know, an interesting fact about the word soba is soba can mean noodles in general, but it can also be referring to a specific type of noodle. There are a lot of Japanese words like this. The meaning is kind of dependent on context. Yeah, I was seeing that there's a lot of dishes that have the word soba in them that don't actually contain soba noodles. Right. Yakisoba, for example, fried noodles, they don't actually use soba noodles in that. It's a different type of noodle. Yep. But uh, soba noodles specifically, that type of noodle, those are made of buckwheat. You know what buckwheat is, Paul? Not really. I didn't either. So I, I looked it up just for this podcast, and I found you would think that buckwheat is related to wheat, right? Maybe a different variety of the same thing? Yeah, I would think it was some type of wheat. Yeah. Wrong. They're totally different different types of grain. Isn't that oh, weird? Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Is it kind of its own thing? Yeah, it's actually more distantly related to wheat than a lot of other grains. There's really no good reason why there's wheat in the name. It's just a totally different grain. But uh, there are also a lot of wheat noodles as well. Udon, for example, is made with wheat, actual wheat, not buckwheat. Yes. And udon is a really thick noodle that you'll find in a lot of soups, usually with kind of a lighter color broth sauce. Sort of yeah. Thing. And soba is more about the size of spaghetti. Yeah. I'd say that's true. And both soba and udon noodles are served in hot dishes and in cold dishes as well. Yeah. Uh, there are also ramen noodles, of course. I guess we can transition into ramen now, right? Yeah, let's talk about ramen. Right. So ramen came to Japan from China, actually, in the 1800s. And Japan, as it does with a lot of different things, took that and kind of adapted it to their own tastes. So, Paul, did you know that ramen wasn't even called ramen until as recently as the 1950s? I didn't know that. Yeah. Before that, since it came from China, they actually called it shina soba, Chinese noodles. <laughs> So ramen is a wide category. There are a lot of different types of ramen, and different parts of Japan will have their own specific style. Yeah, I believe the types of ramen are based upon what type of soup base is used. Yeah, also the broth. toppings can vary as well. Yeah, there's a wide variety of toppings available mm -hmm. on ramen. But in general, ramen is wheat noodles in a meat or fish-based broth, and the broth is also usually flavored with things like soy sauce, miso. And they're very long noodles. Yeah. There are also, like I said, a lot of toppings that vary with the region of Japan. But most commonly, you'll see things like pork, nori seaweed, menma, which is fermented bamboo shoots, and something called negi, which a lot of times in the U.S., you'll see places using green onions for that. But negi is actually a slightly different species Negi is something in between green onions and leeks. Kind of a milder flavor than green onions, and you don't always see that in the U.S., but in Japan, that's what they'll use. Also, uh, hard-boiled or soft-boiled eggs. Mm -hmm. I've seen corn. Yeah, corn is big in miso ramen, which is from Hokkaido. And I'm sure there's so many others that we're not mentioning. Yeah, we'll probably do a whole episode on ramen eventually. Like you mentioned earlier, every region's got its own specialty ramen, so it gets very diverse throughout the country. Yep. 
what food do you want to talk about next, Paul? Um, I just want to mention a few other common foods that you're going to find. Gyoza are uh, dumplings. That was uh, a lot of gyoza recipes were brought back to Japan from China after World War II. Mm. That's become a common thing. Um, okonomiyaki. I know you're a fan. Yeah, definitely. What is that like? So okonomiyaki, basically it translates to something like grilled as you like it. Yes. So there are, again, a lot of variations here and also regional differences. So there's Osaka-style okonomiyaki. And if you look at that, it kind of just looks like a really thick pancake. It's made with kind of a batter, and they can stick different stuff inside. But the Osaka style is like flat. It's going to be covered in okonomiyaki sauce, maybe some uh, aonori seaweed, like these little seaweed flakes, and some Japanese mayonnaise. But in Hiroshima, they have a totally different style of okonomiyaki. It's still got the batter, but they often put a bunch of noodles in there. Uh, A lot of times there are eggs and... I mean, okonomiyaki from anywhere, like I said, it's it's how you like it. So you can basically put anything in there. There could be meat in there. There could be seafood in there. And a lot of okonomiyaki places will even let you choose from just a list of ingredients. You just pick out what you want, and they just throw it all together for you. Yeah, and it's often cooked in the restaurant on a hot iron grill on at your table. Right. And they'll sometimes come over and show you the batter with all the ingredients you picked so you see that everything's in there and then they mix it all together dump it on the grill and start cooking it Mm -hmm. and then at the end you top it with everything that you want as well yep some pretty tasty stuff i mean there's something for everyone there because like you said you can put in whatever you like i've seen it compared to pancakes but it's not as fluffy or sweet yeah, I've I also mean, seen it compared kind of to pizza because it's like you could put anything on it and it's still going to be good. Interesting. And it's got the sauce, which is different than standard pizza sauce. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Kind of like pizza, except like vegetables and meat are baked into the crust. Yeah, doesn't really taste anything like pizza, though. You don't have tomato sauce or anything. Right, because it's Japanese ingredients and flavors. Yeah. So it's kind of its own thing. Um, also bento lunches are popular where mm-hmm. a bento is basically a lunch box. Um, you can buy it at convenience stores or make it at home. Yep. Train stations will sell Multiple them. compartments so you can get your rice and your side dishes and, uh, have a really nice meal. Yep. All sorts of different bento you can get. Again, something for everyone. Tofu is common in Japanese cuisine. Yep. It's made from curdled soy milk Mm -hmm. in a similar process to how cheese is made. Yeah. We should do an episode about tofu someday. The the process of making it's pretty interesting, I think. And there are a lot of different varieties of tofu, too. Yes. Uh, Yakitori is another popular one. Yep. That is uh, bite-sized pieces of grilled chicken on a skewer. Mm -hmm. Often enjoyed with a beer. Yeah. Uh, Yakitori is delicious. Uh, yakiniku. So you'll notice that both of these have yaki at the beginning. That basically means grilled. So yakiniku is grilled meat. And this is kind of a Korean style thing that Japan has adapted. In the U.S. even, you'll find Korean barbecue places where you sit at a table 
and you have like a grill in the middle of the table. You get a bunch of cuts of meat and you just throw the meat on there, cook it yourself. That's basically how yakiniku works in Japan too. Korean barbecue generally focuses a little more on pork and Japan will have other types of meat, different cuts of beef, that kind of thing. And they're also usually pretty small, like bite-sized pieces. You're not putting big strips of meat onto your grill. That's really good if you're into meat. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. Yep. Um, also, curry is very popular in Japan. Very popular. They've got their own style of curry. It's a curry powder-based curry. Common ingredients are onions, potatoes, carrots, and meat. Yeah, I mean, you can put kind of anything in curry. It's a lot like okonomiyaki in that sense, that you can throw in whatever veggies you like, whatever meat you like. You can do a seafood one or a you know red meat one. As far as curry goes, it's a little thicker and a little sweeter and a little less spicy than maybe like a traditional Indian curry is, but very delicious. Yeah. It's also commonly served with rice or noodles. You don't usually get a bowl of curry just by itself, right? Right, right. Often with rice. Curry rice is considered a dish. Yep. Also, katsu, which is, well, tonkatsu is pork cutlet breaded and deep fried, and then they slice that up. You'll find that set on top of a bowl of curry rice a lot of the time. Yeah. That's similar to Wiener Schnitzel, if any uh, one knows what that is. Is it? Yeah. I guess I don't really know a lot about Wiener Schnitzel. What is that? (laughs) That's German style breaded fried pork. Hmm. I liked it when I was a kid. I mean, does it look similar, like the, the same kind of breading stuff? Yeah. Huh. Did not know that. Um, also, just wanted to note, curry actually came to Japan, you might think, from India, right? India's the curry place. Indirectly, it came from India. Yeah, it was actually brought to Japan by the British in the 1800s when India was under British colonial rule. Yeah, it came over in the form of curry powder, which is a Western invention. In real curry in India, it's made with many different spices expertly put together curry powder is a bunch of spices put together for you basically curry made easy not expertly just by amateurs uh depends on maybe where you get it (laughs) i like curry powder i can't lie yeah um so i wanted to mention i know we talked about kaiseki a little bit in a previous episode we were talking about ryokan right traditional japanese hotels yeah so that's one place that you'll find kaiseki But there are also restaurants that serve kaiseki, and I would highly recommend checking that out because that's a very authentic, traditional Japanese style of eating uh, where you have your food organized in a really artistic way. It's designed to please all the senses, right? Yes. It's going to taste delicious. It's going to look delicious. That texture is going to be there. It's going to sound delicious. (laughs) Just overall, the best experience you can get from a meal. Sure. I think we should mention some common drinks that come with the meal. I'm not done with food yet. After Jason's done with food. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I wanted to talk about Kobe beef. I know that probably wasn't on your list, Paul. Definitely not. Yeah. Kobe beef, we'll probably have to do a whole episode on this too, because it is probably my most favorite food on the planet. Kobe beef makes your mouth water. It makes my eyes water. (laughs) I'll stop now. I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Paul's vegan, in case anyone didn't catch that. But uh, 
I mean, this beef, if you Google images for Kobe beef, it looks nothing like the beef that you'll find in the U.S. The marbling is just incredible. This stuff will melt in your mouth. Okay, so let me, let me get past the ranting about how awesome it tastes and talk about kind of what it is, I guess. So this topic can get a little bit confusing because a lot of stuff is called Kobe beef that might not necessarily actually be Kobe beef. So let's start at the beginning. You got Wagyu beef. So wa refers to Japan. Gyu refers to the cow. So Wagyu beef is uh, any beef that comes from these four Japanese breeds of beef cattle. One of these four breeds is the Japanese black breed. And Kobe beef is from a specific strain of Japanese black cow. That strain is called Tajima. So there are a lot of cows in Japan that aren't Kobe beef. And if you've had Kobe beef in the U.S., you might not have actually had Kobe beef because the word Kobe beef, the words Kobe beef, are regulated in Japan. Like, you can't just call any beef Kobe beef in Japan. But that regulation doesn't extend to the U.S., so stores can call basically anything they want Kobe beef. You'll also see Wagyu beef sometimes in the U.S., which is maybe more trustworthy since it's kind of a wider category. But you want to be careful there if you're trying to get it in the U.S., any other popular types of food you want to talk about? Definitely. So there's something called shabu-shabu. Have you ever had shabu-shabu? No. So shabu-shabu, besides being really fun to say, is a type of meal where you have some flavored water, basically, some sort of broth, and you're going to get vegetables and some real thinly sliced meat, usually beef, but it can be different kinds of meat, and basically what you're going to do is cook these for yourself in your, in your boiling broth. So the reason it's called shabu-shabu, that's actually an onomatopoeia for the sound of swishing that meat through the water. Isn't that fun? That's cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mentioned tonkatsu, which is you know pork breaded in breadcrumbs and then fried. That's often served with shredded cabbage if you get it at a restaurant. And there will be some sauce that goes on the cabbage. There will be a different sauce that goes on the tonkatsu. I actually went to a place in Kyoto, I think it was, where I got to make my own sauce. At the table, they give you a little jar of sesame seeds and another little thing of sauce. And you kind of grind up the sesame seeds yourself, pour the sauce in there, mix it up. Well, that sounds fun. It was fun. I had a good time. Um, another one that is an interesting food in Japan is called fugu. What's fugu? I don't know. Fugu is puffer fish. Ah. Yeah. So I think most people have heard of this. This is kind of one of those things that people like to point to as like, oh, Japan's so wacky, you know, because puffer fish are extremely poisonous. A very small amount of their poison can kill you, but it's actually super safe to eat in Japan. Only a few people die every year, but those people are almost always people that tried to make it themselves at home. Yeah. Now, I heard of one story about a famous broadcaster actor who ate so much of it that he became convinced he was immune to the poison, so he demanded to eat the poisonous part of the fish, and when the chefs finally gave in, he died. Yeah. Just 
just a bad idea. Like the people that die are just people with really bad ideas. But if you go to a fugu restaurant, these chefs that are cutting up this fish, they will have had at least three years of training before they were allowed to cut up a puffer fish and serve it to somebody. Have you had fugu, Jason? I have. You madman. <laughs> I didn't really feel like I was risking too much. Seems like it worked out okay. You're still here. Still here. Was it delicious? You know, it actually, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that fugu is so popular. And it's only been, popular because it's rare, probably. Perhaps. I feel like it's not that rare these days. Maybe it was. And actually, at one point in history, did you know that the, uh, the shogunate banned fugu for a while? No. Yeah, I guess people were dying from eating it. And they were like, no, I, you guys are done. No more. <laughs> so what is strange to me is why people were so you know, adamant that they eventually brought it back. Who figured out which part of that fish is not poisonous? Right. How, how many people had to die eating that fish? That is a very good question. Although I suppose back in the day, there was a lot of poverty and food scarcity and starve or try the puffer fish. It's I a tough guess. choice. I don't know. But thankfully, someone in history has figured out all of what's poisonous for us and not these days. Yeah. Good time to be alive. <laughs> Thank you, ancestors, for your sacrifice. Yeah, we really appreciate it. So I'm not saying that fugu isn't tasty, but it has a very mild flavor. Like there's, It doesn't really stand out that much among other types of fish. There's a lot of gourmet stuff, I think, that's gourmet because it's difficult or rare or hard yeah. to prepare. That yeah. makes it a delicacy. Sure. But, you know, I would recommend trying it, if anything, just for the experience um, the place I went to, they actually used the whole fish to make like this this multi-course meal. It was pretty cool. At first, they gave me a little cup of sake with a uh, grilled pufferfish fin in there. <laughs> so that was good. Then there was a plate of pufferfish sashimi, which was good. They gave me a little pufferfish skin salad kind of thing with like green onions and, uh, or maybe it was negi. I think I recall there was like flying fish row in there then they did like a hot pot with you know the meat other parts of the puffer fish maybe the head and the tail and then once the hot pot was done they used the leftover water to make some porridge like it was, it was this whole big thing it was, it was pretty cool that's awesome yeah so fugu can be i don't know a little expensive but not super expensive like my whole meal was maybe 40 bucks i think okay not terrible I also, I do want to talk a little bit about the poison because it's just fascinating. Sure. The way that it kills people. So this poison in the puffer fish is located in the highest concentrations in the liver, the ovaries, the eyes, and the skin. I was a little surprised to learn that there's a lot in the skin because I ate the skin. Yeah, I wouldn't suspect that. Maybe it's different, certain parts of the skin. Not really sure about that Maybe one. if you treat or cook the skin in a certain way, it gets rid of the poison. Yeah, that could be. But the poison, well, first of all, the poison actually isn't produced by the pufferfish itself. Did you know that? No, where does it come from? Yeah, it comes from this symbiotic bacteria that lives inside them. I guess it helps the fugu because things aren't going to want to eat it, and it helps the bacteria because, I don't know, they feed on some something in the pufferfish, I suppose. All, all I right. read was that it's a symbiotic relationship. I like symbiotic relationships 
because they both benefit. Yeah. There's so much nastiness out in the animal world. Yeah. But it's nice to see them getting along. Yeah. Nice little poisonous bacteria <laughs> Unt- until it kills humans. So the way it does that is by paralyzing your muscles, but it doesn't make you go unconscious. You're, you're fully conscious, but paralyzed, and it's going to paralyze your respiratory system. So you can't breathe. So basically, you asphyxiate while you're still conscious. That sounds terrible. Yeah, sounds like a pretty bad way to go. Yeah. Yeah. But don't worry about it, because like I said, three years or more of training to cut up these fish. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I guess we can get to drinks now. Why don't don't you lead us into drinks? So common drinks at Japanese restaurants are going to be tea, beer, sake, whiskey, wine. If you're at um, certain restaurants, maybe soft drinks or juice. Oh, we're going to have to do a whole episode about tea, because I can talk about Japanese tea for a long time. And alcohol in Japan. Yeah. Well, just real quick, I did have a little bit about whiskey. Japanese whiskey is some high-quality stuff. It's very highly regarded, especially these days. It's even been compared favorably to the highest-rated whiskeys in the world. I mean, they have competitions, and Japan has been winning a lot of them. Yeah, Japan has become a world leader in whiskey. Yeah. That also means it's been pushing up the price, especially in other parts of the world. So it might be worth it to pick up a nice bottle while you're in Japan. Probably going to be cheaper there. Yeah. Um, I guess I did want to expand a little bit on tea. I won't cover everything because I could talk for an hour about that. But just to give you two or three or four main types of tea in Japan, a lot of people have probably heard about the Japanese tea ceremony. You've heard of the Japanese tea ceremony? Of course. Yeah, it's pretty famous around the world. Yes. And the type of tea they use there is something called matcha. Now, matcha is made by grinding up green tea leaves really finely. So matcha itself is basically this really bright green powder, like a super fine powder. And the way it's prepared is being mixed into water with a whisk. So it's suspended in there. This variety of tea is going to have a lot of caffeine because you're actually consuming the tea leaf itself. And usually in tea, you know, it's just steeped and then they take the leaves out, right? Yeah. So that's matcha. You also have something called sencha. This is a pretty common kind of everyday tea. And this is green tea that is steamed and then the leaves are rolled into like these little sticks. And uh, there are a lot of different subcategories within Sencha that I won't get into now, but it's delicious, and you should check it out. Now, in old Japan, a lot of people did not have a lot of money, but they still wanted to drink tea, so they would get Sencha, but then they would mix it with roasted rice. Like, it's almost like Rice Krispies. And that variety of tea you can still get, still pretty popular, that's called Genmaicha. And there are other types of tea. There's hojicha, which is like a roasted green tea. So it's kind of going to be a bit darker. I have some different flavors in there. But like I said, we'll, we'll go into it more in another episode. But that's uh, the basics. Yeah, if you're traveling Japan, you're going to get a lot of chances to try some good tea. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was served some matcha at this little garden in Kyoto. There's like a place you can visit. They had a little tea house. There are a lot of tea houses around Japan. Yeah. And... Uh, 
you know, they'll, they'll serve several types of tea. So should we talk about uh, eating etiquette briefly? Go for it. So a couple things to mention. Before you eat, it is polite to say, itadakimasu. Itadakimasu. I think it translates to, I humbly receive. Yeah. And when you're finished eating, it's polite to say, it was a feast. Gochisousama deshita. Yeah, like that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, don't worry if your pronunciation's too bad. They're going to appreciate your effort. Yeah. When you're eating, it's not polite at all to put your chopsticks straight up and down in your rice. You need to put your chopsticks on the chopstick holder. Or if it came in paper, you can roll up the paper to make a little place to set your chopsticks next to your meal. Mm -hmm. You also shouldn't put them across the bowl until you're done eating. Um, Also note that it's polite to fill each other's glasses. And don't drink until everybody has a drink. Yeah. So if you see anyone getting low on their glass, fill it up for them. That's always nice. And they will do the same for you. Yep. Also, don't stack dishes or bust your own table. It's polite to leave all the dishes the way they brought it out for you because they respect the dishes. They purposely picked those dishes because they're the perfect dishes for the food that they served you, and they respect them. They're the tools they use. They don't want them all stacked up or tossed around or dirty napkins on them. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something to pay attention to in that kaiseki that I was talking about too because, I mean, the care that they put into picking each bowl each plate and complementing the colors of those bowls with the colors of the food in them. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how much care they take into putting this stuff together. Yep. Also, I think we should mention that uh, food safety standards in Japan are really good. So it's pretty much safe to buy food anywhere. You're not going to have issues with uh, cleanliness. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about being vegan in Japan briefly. Yeah, do that. So the first time I went to Japan, I was not vegan, but my brother who I was traveling with was. And the second time I went to Japan, I was vegan and had been for a while. Um, So being vegan in Japan can be a bit of a challenge because there's so much seafood and fish broth in seemingly everything. Yeah, it can be hard to find things that don't have any animal products in them at all because a lot of things that don't look like they have anything will have some sort of fish stock or something. Yeah, or fish flakes for seasoning. Yeah. Um, There are some things going in your favor. There's a long tradition of Buddhist cuisine. The country was actually, by law, vegetarian for hundreds of years where they ate fish and seafood, of course. Yeah, pescatarian. Yeah. That obviously isn't true anymore, but it's still much heavier leaning towards seafood, I think, than uh, land animals. Yeah, definitely. But you can get Buddhist, traditional Buddhist food from temples. There's restaurants that serve it. It's always vegetarian, I believe, and often vegan. Um, There's also vegan restaurants in Japan. Most major cities have at least one or two totally vegan restaurants. And you can look that up on the Happy Cow website, or you can download the app for your phone. I found that to be super useful when I was in Japan, to be able to find the places, too, to have an exact address. 
Um, there's also a good subreddit called Vegan in Japan that's got some good content and links to a lot of useful things. Um, and you can also find uh, some snacks. Um, if you go to the convenience store, you can find rice balls. You have to be careful. Some of them will have fish in them, but a lot of them will be vegetables or sesame seeds or whatever. So you can always find a rice ball to eat. You can buy snacks of nuts or chips or pretzels. Yep. There's well, there's lots of stuff you can find. Yep. They'll often have fruits and vegetables that you can grab. But you'll definitely need to go out of your way to find and get to vegan restaurants. Thankfully, traveling with Jason, he was very accommodating. And sometimes we'd split up for dinner. Sometimes he'd follow me to a vegan place. And then you'd follow me to a non-vegan place. Yep. Sometimes we did that. But it worked out well for both of us. We both got what we were looking for. Yep. And I mean, and, uh, we ate together at vegan places sometimes. And yeah. I mean, there, there was some good food. A lot of the food was amazing. The, some of those vegan restaurants had really, really good food. I was not disappointed. Yeah, there was one in Akihabara that we went to twice, right? Yeah, because it was near a hotel, and it was, it was good food. Yeah, it was good. I think that was a little bit of the Buddhist-based temple food. Okay. Also, that's, I just wanted to cover that briefly, in case any of my vegans are out there listening. Yep. Shall we move on to where to get food? Yeah, let's talk about restaurants. Okay. What kind of restaurant you want to talk about? I think that first we should mention that Japan has a huge abundance of very good restaurants. That is true. They have the most three-star Michelin restaurants of any country in the world right now. And Tokyo has the most three-star restaurants of any city in the world. Yeah. Let's talk for just a second about what that means. What is a Michelin rating? Michelin goes back to the tire company. Yeah. Funny enough. Yeah. I, you know, for a long time, I, I wasn't sure if they were related. It seems weird for a food rating thing to be associated yeah. with a tire company. I thought company. it might be some French company or something, not a tire company. But what they did was they released a guidebook every year with the best restaurants and hotels and things while you're traveling. Yeah. Just for the record, sorry to interrupt, but mm -hmm. Michelin is actually a French company. Okay, well, that explains why I thought it was French. <laughs> yeah. It sounds yeah. kind of like a French name. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, And it is. cooking, I'm like cooking French. I don't know, that goes together for me. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, go on about But the, yeah, the uh, guidebook eventually just became more and more famous and somehow wait, eventually- Wait, what was the guidebook for? For traveling. Since they were a tire company, they would release this guidebook for road trips what yeah. restaurant do you want to go to? How good is it? They went around and raided all these places. Yeah, I mean, this was like around 1900 when they started doing this, and there were not a lot of cars on the road at that point. So they put out this guide to kind of increase demand for cars and say, look at all these cool places you can visit if you have yeah. a car. Yeah, and now today it's like the premier restaurant rating system. Yeah, weird. <laughs> And it's worldwide, and every chef wants a Michelin star. Yeah. You can have one star, two stars, or three stars. Yeah. It's uh, the best guide there is industry-wide, as far as I understand. Yep. So, want to talk briefly about the experience you're going to have at a Japanese restaurant? Sure. I mean, it's really going to depend a lot on what type of restaurant you go to. Yeah, that's totally true. But one thing that 
I noticed that is pretty different from the U.S. is a lot of times when you're seated at the table, they're going to leave this little mini clipboard at your table, and that's where they're going to write down everything that you order. So when you pay, the waiter or waitress is not going to bring you check generally. You're going to pick up that little clipboard and bring that over to the register at the front of the restaurant to pay. Yeah, it's very rare that you pay at your table. Mm-hmm. You usually bring your tab up to the front register and, yep. and take care of it. Um, often, as soon as you sit down, you're going to be brought a hot, wet towel, mm-hmm. and you use that to clean your hands. I actually find that super awesome. Yeah. Like, that's that's great. You don't have to go to the bathroom to wash your hands. They bring it right to your table so everyone can eat cleanly. Yeah. Oh, those towels often smell really nice, too. Yeah, it feels great. If you've been out walking around all day and they bring you that hot towel, it's nice. Yeah. As I recall, a lot of them smelled like almonds, which is a really pleasant smell. Oh, I wonder if they're doing that on purpose. I wouldn't be surprised if they're purposely scenting their towels. Details are so important. Yeah, no, I think they actually drip like some almond oil on there or something. That's cool. Yeah. Um, You're going to be using chopsticks at a lot of restaurants. But some of them will have Western-style silverware. Yeah, I would think most would have them available if you ask Yeah, if it. you request to, unless yeah. you're maybe at like the most traditional of traditional places. Sure. And at sushi places, if you're not comfortable with chopsticks, it is acceptable to just pick up sushi with your hands. Yeah, sushi is finger food. Yeah. Um, a lot of restaurants actually will have, especially in tourist areas, replicas of their food outside or in the window made of wax or plastic, so you can see what each dish looks like. So if you can't read the menu, that can be a way to decide where you want to eat and what you want to eat. Yeah, those can definitely be helpful. A lot of places have menus with pictures on them as well, yep. so you can point to what you want. Yep. Or if you look around, I mean, you'll usually be able to find a restaurant that actually has English translations on the menu even. Yeah, especially in tourist areas, there's yeah. going to be restaurants around that have English menus or English on the menus. Yep. So it's not bad. I did appreciate uh, being vegan. It was a little more of a challenge. And uh, you helped me out a little bit with your Japanese skills of oh. uh, letting them know, no, I don't want eggs. I don't want meat. I don't want fish. I tried. I don't know how much it, I really got across. I think it helped. <laughs> we came to a couple places that you helped me realize I couldn't eat at too, mm. which was nice. Um, also, we mentioned it in a previous episode, but uh, no tipping at restaurants. Yeah, don't the tip. The staff is well paid, and uh, they're not going to understand if you leave them a tip. They might even be offended. Or they'll chase you down in the street and give you your tip back and embarrass you. Yep. So, Jason, you want to talk about a few different types of Japanese restaurants? Sure. My list even actually includes things that aren't technically restaurants. I just have a lot of different places where you can get food. Yeah. I mean, there's good grocery stores around. Kombinis are always good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned Kombini. A Kombini is a convenience store, and they sell all sorts of stuff, generally really healthy stuff. You could eat unhealthy if you want to, but you could also eat super healthy and really well. You could honestly go your entire trip only eating at Kombini if you really wanted to. I'm pretty sure there's like adults, like single adults in Japan that you get like 90% of their food at the Kombini. Yeah, definitely. They're going to sell, you know, bentos. We mentioned bentos before. They're going to yep. sell rice balls, like you said. Yep. Instant ramen. Yeah. And All you sorts can cook of stuff. it there. You can heat it up in the store. Yeah. 
I don't want to spoil anything, but we're at, our next episode is actually about Combini. Can I yeah. say that now? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Our next episode is about Combini, so there's going to be a lot more about, we're going to go in depth about what kind of food he can get there. Um, but that's one option. Paul, why don't you tell us about Izakaya? Izakaya is comparable maybe to a casual pub, but they're going to serve lots of food there along with the alcohol. They're going to have lots of variety of small dishes. Often what you order is going to be expected to be shared with the table. You can mm-hmm. all just kind of pick as you're eating and maybe drinking. Yeah. And they can have a variety of different kinds of food, but a lot of times it's like, it's kind of just home style cooking, you know? The one yeah. that we went to, they were serving like steamed pumpkin and little It's like fish Japanese dishes. bar food. Yeah. Yeah. This would also probably be a good place to point out that the drinking age in Japan is 20. They're not going to card you a whole lot, but it happens once in a while. I think I was 21 the first time I went, and I don't think I ever got carded. Mm. Probably being a foreigner might add something to do with that. Yeah, maybe. Speaking of drinking, I want to talk about something called nomi hodai. What's nomi hodai? I'll tell you. Nomi hodai is the best thing in the world, but it would never work in the U.S., why is that? Nomi Hodai means all you can drink. So there are places where you can go and for really not a lot of money, like 10 bucks on the low end, you can drink as much as you can drink for a certain amount of time. Usually the time period is about an hour and a half to two hours or so. But can you imagine that in the US? It would be a disaster. Yeah. I worked at a restaurant for over four years. I can't tell you how many times we had to cut people off kick people out, people getting into fights. Oh, and, that, and they had to pay for every drink. Yeah. If it was all you could drink, people would take that as a challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man, I can't even, I can't even believe that's a thing. Yeah, I still haven't been to one, but I, I really need to check one out on my next visit. Sounds like it could be fun. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's best with a group of people, obviously. You don't want to be sitting there alone just chugging beers. Just slamming beers by yourself. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just beers either. Like most of the time, they'll have pretty much a full selection. You can get cocktails, mixed drinks. You know. Wow. If you could do some sake and some whiskey. Yeah. I don't know about hard alcohol, but they do have a, quite a variety. And a lot of times it's even help yourself. Like there will be machines that just dispense alcohol. What? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So a lot of times in Japan, like a, a group that's going out to a club or something, they'll stop at a Nomi Hodai place first to, to pregame to, to avoid <laughs> the high prices for drinks at other places. So like you said, on the low end, Nomi Hodai can be from $10 to up to like 30 bucks, depending on the type of place. You know, fancier places are going to be more expensive. Uh, going along with Nomi Hodai, there's something called Tabe Hodai. Might be able to figure out what that means. All you can eat? There you go. Yeah, so n- nomu is the verb for to drink. Taberu is to eat. So the hodai is the all you can part. So yeah, they have uh, all you can eat places, which is a little more common to find in the US. You do find those around. Yeah. And I mean, it could be any style of restaurant that's offering this. You know, you can have tabe hodai, yakiniku, okonomiyaki, shabu shabu. Any of that stuff. There are also buffets that'll be really familiar. Also, there's something that I haven't seen in the U.S. that you can find in Japan, which are cake buffets. So there... Is that what it sounds like? Yeah. 
all-you-can-eat cake, and it's all different types of cake, other types of sweets. I couldn't do it. Like, that just doesn't I, even sound appealing to I me. I shouldn't do it. I like sweets too much. I would, I would feel terrible probably after I <laughs> destroyed about 20 pieces of cake. Oh, oh just thinking about it makes me oh. feel not so Yeah, I'm so going to pass good. on that one. I'm more of a salty type The other person. two I like. Yeah. What, were you going to say something? I was going to say we should mention family restaurants. Sure. Go ahead. So family restaurant is generally going to be a large nationwide chain restaurant. It's the typical like booths, restaurant experience. They even have Denny's there. Yeah, which is actually owned by the company that owns 7-Eleven, 7 and I Holdings, which so is kind of interesting. If you know what a Denny's is in America, there's Denny's in Japan. They're similar in how they look and function, but the ja- the food's a little got a Japanese flair to it, of course. Sure. You know, I like there's a there's a chain that's purely Japanese, as far as I know. It's called Jonathan's. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, sound I've, very Japanese. I've seen that one. I've never been to one. Yeah, me either. There's different types of family restaurants. Some specialize kind of in Chinese food. Some are a little more American, and some are more traditional Japanese food. Um, and to go along with that, there are restaurants called Shokudo. And that's like a similar casual dining place, except they're usually family-owned, smaller establishments. They usually specialize more in Japanese food, and they're often close to tourist areas. Cool. Uh, they're also going to have a lot of American restaurant chains like KFC, Pizza Hut, McDonald's, Taco Bell, Burger King. All yes. that stuff is out there. Fast food exists in Japan. Yeah. It's all a little different. You might get a teriyaki burger at McDonald's. Yeah, they cater to Japanese tastes. A lot of times, I believe it was McDonald's that has an Ebi burger, which is uh, made with shrimp instead of beef. That's wild. Yeah. Taco Bell is a little different. I remember I went to one in Shibuya that had beer, which I'd never seen at a Taco Bell before. Funny story about KFC. When uh, the Hanshin Tigers baseball team there finally won a championship in the 80s, the fans went around throwing people in the river nearby that looked like all the baseball players, but they had an American player named Randy Bass, and they couldn't find anyone who looked like him. So they grabbed a statue of the colonel that was in front of a KFC and threw it in the river. That is an odd story. Yeah, I'm a fan of Japanese baseball. Well, what's next? Let's see. I have a bunch of less usual places where you can find food. So fish markets are a good place if you're into fish. Basically, any big city on the coast in Japan is going to have a fish market. And if you go there, you're going to get some of the freshest fish you've ever had. There are all sorts of restaurants around that you know buy directly from the market and then serve it right away. Also, in the fish market itself, a lot of times, I mean, depending on the market, some don't allow you in like the wholesale area, but a lot of them will have just little stands selling all sorts of different fresh fish maybe caught that day. Speaking of fish markets, if you're planning on visiting Tsukiji, hopefully you've heard that Tsukiji has moved. It's not where it has been for a very long time. So the Tsukiji inner market, which is where the wholesalers were, where tourists were never allowed in there. That was for the people that were buying and selling fish. 
That has closed and moved to the Toyosu Waterfront District, not too far away. That moved in October of 2018. But the outer market that has a bunch of little shops and restaurants and stuff, that still is in the same place at Tsukiji. So if you're going to visit, I mean, there's still a lot of cool stuff to see, a lot of good food to eat, but just something to keep in mind. And the new Toyosu market also has shops and restaurants, if you'd rather check that out. So just wanted to make that note. Other places you can get food. There's something called Tachi Nomi. And remember, Nomi is drinking, right? So Tachi, that part of the word, is standing. So this is where you stand and drink. There are these little bars. They usually don't, they can't accommodate more than six or so people. And I mean, it's a really, really cool experience. Like just an intimate place where you can hang out with some locals, maybe have a few drinks. And it's, it's just a bar where you're standing, stand there and drink. I'm down with that. Yeah, that sounds fun. Um, that uh, relates a little bit to yatai, which are food stalls. Yeah, similar You'll types of things. Sometimes find those just on busy streets that are permanent. But also if you're at any kind of festival or anything like that, there's going to be a whole bunch of food stalls around selling ramen, uh, okonomiyaki, all sorts of all sorts of specialties. Yeah, you know, there's actually this one festival in Tokyo in November that I really wanted to visit. It takes place on this street that has a bunch of ginkgo trees on either side. So it's a really pretty place in fall. You know, you got all these yellow leaves falling down from the trees and covering the street and stuff. And they have a little festival where they have food stalls from all over Japan and they all bring their specific local specialty. So you can try tastes from all over Japan. Pretty cool, That's right? awesome, yeah. Yeah, I really wanted to visit. Unfortunately, I'm going to be there like a week after that happens. That's too bad. Yeah, a little bummed. But I'm sure I'll find plenty of other good stuff to eat. Another thing that you could check out if you're into alcohol... There are plenty of beer and sake breweries in Japan that you could visit, whether you want a tour or, you know, a lot of these beer places are going to serve food too. Or you could tour a sake brewery and find out how sake is made because that's a pretty interesting process. Yeah, that would be fun. So if you're looking for a nice lunch, there are restaurants called Teishokuya. They're set menu restaurants. They're popular with business people for lunch. So it's going to be generally a main dish, which will vary by restaurant, with rice, miso, and pickles. Cool. So you don't choose what you want. You just go pay and they feed you whatever. Yeah, everyone gets the same thing every day. They Mm. might change day to day what they're serving, but everyone gets the same thing. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you pointed that out because there are other types of restaurants that do that same kind of thing. We mentioned kaiseki. Kaiseki doesn't have a menu. It's basically a meal that is just the way it is. You you order your kaiseki and they're just going to have a bunch of courses they're going to bring out to you. You might not even know what it's going to be ahead of time. Also at sushi restaurants, I mean, almost always you will be able to choose. Actually, let me take that back. At higher end sushi restaurants, a lot of times you won't be able to choose, at least for the main part of the meal. The chef might have gotten the best fish he could find at the fish market, and that's just what he's serving that day. Yeah, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the higher-end sushi restaurants will serve you in courses. And they don't want you picking things because they've designed the courses to build on each other perfectly. And if you're just picking random stuff, 
it's not going to be the experience that they're trying to give you. Yeah, exactly. They will actually plan out which pieces of sushi they're going to give you in what order. So maybe they give you, you know, the stronger tasting stuff towards the end of the meal. So it doesn't kind of ruin your palate for the lighter yeah. fish that you have. Trust at the them. They're experts. They're very, they're very good at their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a really nice sushi restaurant that was like that. But then at the very end of the meal, he kind of asked me like, what kind of stuff do you like? And then he made me some, you know, custom stuff just for my taste. So that was pretty cool. That's too. awesome. Wings it at the end based on what you like. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Also, there's a bunch of specialty restaurants that serve one type of food. Yeah. I mean, a lot of restaurants, like they'll say ramen out front and that's all they do is they serve ramen. Yep. And they all just call those the food and then they add yai at the end. So yeah. if it's a sushi ya. It's a sushi restaurant. Yeah, and that's not just for restaurants either. That's just for stores in Japan. They basically just say what the place sells and then add ya at the end. Like hon is book. Honya is a bookstore. Yeah, so you might have a okonomiyaki ya or a kare ya, which is curry. Yep. Curry restaurant. Also, we should mention kaiten sushi. Yeah, definitely. What is a kaiten sushi? Kaiten sushi is known in the U.S. as conveyor belt sushi. Yes. So these places, you're going to sit down at your table, and there's actually a conveyor belt that goes throughout the restaurant, like in front of everybody. Yeah, right in front of you. You're going to be at, you could be at a table, but you also could be at a, like a bar. Yeah. Kind of. And there's just going to be food going past. And if you see something that you like, just grab it and eat it. There's usually like 10 different colored plates and what color the plate is, is what price you pay. Yeah. So at the end, they calculate the total and that's what you pay. Yep. Usually like 100 to 400 yen, depending on what's on the plate. plate, Per plate, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't like anything that happens to be coming by or you want something specific, you'll be able to order that and then they'll either hand it to you or send it to you on the conveyor belt. A lot of these places also these days are going to have touchscreen little tablets there. So you can just punch it in whatever you want. So you can sit by, try different things on the conveyor. You can order something yourself. Or if they see what you keep grabbing, they'll keep making more of it. Yeah. Well, this episode's getting a bit long. We got through my list. Do you have anything else you want to say? The only thing left I have to mention is there's also foreign food restaurants so you're going to be you're going to see Chinese restaurants, Indian restaurants, Italian, French. Those are the common ones. There's many more, but those are the ones I think that you're more likely to come across. Yeah. But usually there'll be some sort of Japanese twist. Like if you go to an Italian restaurant, don't expect to get real right. Italian. You're going to get spaghetti, but it's not going to be exactly how you're used to getting spaghetti. Yeah. But I've I've had good luck enjoying those places. Yeah, I'm not saying they're bad. There's pizza places, but the pizza's going to be different too. Yeah, yeah. You might find some unusual toppings on that pizza. But that's part of what makes Japan so cool, is they have all this stuff, but it's all got that Japanese flair to it. Yeah. Go have some new experiences. There's a lot of new stuff to experience in Japan. Well, that's the end of the episode. Uh, if you want more, you just can't get enough of us, check out our website at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. 
Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at SJP Podcast if you're looking for pretty pictures. And Paul, what are we talking about next week? So you're in Japan now. You're cruising all over the country, seeing and doing all this awesome stuff. But you need stuff. You need food. You're tired. You're worn down. But thankfully, Japan is a convenient place, and they've got konbini, which are Japanese convenience stores, and they're everywhere in Japan. And they're so convenient. They can help you with anything. And on the next episode, you'll find out all the awesome things you can do at Kobini. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. And uh, let's see. Today, we're going to leave you with a clip fitting for the food episode. This is a recording of the tuna auction at Tsukiji Market. So you're going to hear a lot of people yelling because they want to get that tuna. It's a lively clip. I like it. Yeah. So uh, enjoy that. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time.